0: The sec- well, we're going to finish the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians this morning. And we're going to be looking between verses 13 and 20. And I entitled this Bible study, Best of Times in the Worst of Times. Now, if you're an English lit person, uh, as I once was, that probably resonates because our title of the Bible study comes from the opening line of Charles Dickinson's classic a tale of two cities. Listen to the first paragraph of this classic book. He writes, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Well, in this dramatic fashion, Dickens describes a dichotomy between the very best experiences one could have yet in the midst of the very worst environment one could be in, but coexisting at the same time. It speaks of experiencing life-altering goodness amidst the worst circumstances imaginable. And it very much describes pretty well the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is true regardless of what period of church history we're talking about. Certainly this was what was true of the Thessalonians that Paul is writing to. Because Paul is describing that church in dickon terms. They had received the very words of life. And they were living by them. And Paul was so stoked about that. They had the assurance of eternal life. They had the assurance of glory. They had a victorious life on earth. And yet, in the appropriation of this best of all possible worlds, they continued to live in this world, where their newfound faith opened up them to criticism, to persecution, to rejection by Jew and Gentile alike. In many cases, they were even rejected by their families. And one of Paul's objectives in writing this letter to the Thessalonians was to encourage them, to build them up in their faith as they experienced the very best that God could offer, even in the midst of the very worst that the world can produce. And his observations about what made these times so wonderful, in spite of the terrible things that were going on around them, these are things that we can glean from the text and can encourage us. I don't think you need me to tell you that we've seen some dramatic changes in our world In these last three years, things that used to be spoken in shadows and in corners are now front page news and legislation in our country and practice in our schools and even coming through a lot of churches. And so as we look at Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians, please hear it for yourself. Because I, I personally believe, and, and most every pastor that I've been in contact with over the course of the last couple of years, believes the same thing. And they believe that, that, frankly, what we have known in our country as the Christian experience has been indeed a very, very light affliction compared to what's coming. In fact, you could almost look up north to our neighbors of the north in Canada, and you can see the kinds of persecution Marginalization and, and limitation that's been clamped down on the church there. And I think it's not much of a leap of, of knowledge to, to expect that that's coming our way. And in many places, it already has happened. And so we're going to look at why Paul is so excited for these Thessalonians because of the way in which they receive the best of all possible things. We're going to see his commendation to them about how they received it in the midst of the worst of times. And then he finishes the passage and the chapter by speaking to how much all of us can be lifted by the expectation of what's to come. You know, we, we look we look forward to the coming of Christ. That song we sung today, Hosanna, we haven't sung that in a long time. I thought Cassie had nailed it, did a beautiful job with that. And that, that song... You could almost imagine that that's the Apostle John seeing that in the opening chapters of uh, Revelation as he sees the king of glory coming in the clouds. That's what we wait for. And that's our encouragement. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to just go ahead and read the whole passage uh, between verses 13 and 20. And, And here's what we read. This is now Paul speaking. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things. From your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in in presence, not in heart, Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Heavenly Father God, the word tells us that we are your glory and joy. And what a privilege it is to be that relative to you, almighty God. And Lord, as I see the excitement of the Apostle Paul for these Thessalonians, even in the midst of very trying times, I look out over the precious saints of Chapel Hill and feel that same joy, knowing that in a world that's rapidly moving away from you, they are drawing close. And so, Father, this morning, I would pray that you would bless their hearts with your word, bless their hearts with your spirit, who will lead them in the way of the truth of this passage, Lord, as your servant to speak these words, I pray that nothing I would say, nothing that would emanate from my heart or lips, would get in the way of what you wish to say to your precious people this morning. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul has a lot of joy in his voice here. And uh, from the outset of the letter, it's very clear that he, he highly approves and even admires this church and the process by which they've gone from being heathens to being believers. Uh, the tone of this letter, very different from other letters that Paul wrote to bring correction to churches like 1 Corinthians or Galatians. I, the, the line that sticks in my head from Galatians is, oh, you foolish Galatians. You know You don't find anything like that in this letter. Paul's joy overflows the letter. And, uh, and the thing that has so got him jazzed up is that they, they received the word of God with joy. They received it in spite of all the obstacles that come before people. By the way, this was one of the things that, that the Lord was putting on my heart as I was speaking to that man in the, uh, on the podcast is that, you know, because he's asking the kind of questions that people who don't love the Lord and don't know his word would ask. Why should I believe that? Why should anyone believe that? What if you're next to somebody who believes something completely different than what you believe? What are you going to say to that person? And so Paul is seeing these people who once were in that position. And now under much affliction, they receive these words and it changes their lives. And as somebody who's sharing the gospel, and I hope that includes all of you. Isn't it just the greatest joy of your life to see a new believer being born, being born again. Especially if it's somebody that you've actually poured your heart into and you've you've actually gone out on a limb to share the word of God with them. And then they get it. You see the, the dots connect and the light goes on and they're awash with this newfound joy. And there's nothing that brought Paul more joy than that. One of the things that he credits them with, and it's the reason why he is so joyous, we find there in verse 13 He says, therefore, this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. See, one of the great uh, dangers of the church today is to take the word of God too lightly. I believe that that the blame might rest with pastors of today who themselves come into their pulpits with a rather low view of scripture. And before you know it, the people in their church, and maybe even they themselves, believe that Jesus was a really moral man. Jesus was a really good teacher. But they don't elevate the word of God to the place that it should occupy. It is the word of God, not of men. It is not of men. It is a, it is, A word that lifts you out of the miry clay. It's a word that changes your life. It lives in us. And it does things. He says there that the word of God works effectively in us. It's not something, yeah, right there in verse 13. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul understood, and therefore he saw it in the Thessalonians That they saw the word of God for what it was. Hey, this is not just another great, articulate, sophist Greek speaker who can mesmerize people with his dialect and his, his knowledge. These are the words of God. This is what Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He makes it clear. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Just stopping there for a moment. All scripture given by inspiration of God. That is to say, this was not any one of these books of the Bible or any passage or verse in the Bible. It's not some clever thing that some mere human being ginned up, thought, wow, this would be a good idea. Wow, this will resonate well. Wow, this is my thought on how I tie this passage from scripture with that passage of scripture. Not at all. All scripture given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. By doctrine, we we could take that to mean the things we need to know to know God, for reproof, for correction. We still have a sin nature residing in us. We can get off the track and the word of God will bring us back if we let it for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we want to live out the life of Christ, there's no other place we can go but the word of God that's in our hands. The Thessalonians understood it and they were moving in that direction. They were able to see. And believe me, living in the Greek world, the Greeks loved. The Greeks loved to have people come together and discuss ideas. This is why I appreciated this man, the host of that podcast so much. This, this is what's, what turns him on too. Okay, come on. So have a seat. Tell me what you believe. Tell me why you believe it. And the Greeks loved that. That that was very much part of their culture. What Paul is seeing in the Thessalonians, uh, we used to have a youth leader in our church. Great guy, John Morganti. Some of you might remember him. Well, one of the things that he did when he wasn't youth leading was he went to garage sales. He would go to 10 of them on a Saturday morning. And he had an uncanny eye for picking out the diamond in the rough For finding that thing amidst all the junk, all of the pottery that no one ever wanted, all of the little trinkles and baubles and and broken sporting good items, he would find the one thing that's being sold for $3 but actually is worth $300. And that's the way he saw the Thessalonians is they had an eye for what was really the words of God. A lot of things out there in the world today that are claimed to be the words of God The words of God, rather. There are a lot of things out there, a lot of people out there, that believe that they are part of the divine. And therefore, the the things that they believe are equivalent to truth. You've, You've probably heard the pronoun that a lot of people put before truth. My truth. Your truth. What's up with that? My truth is gravity. You want to disagree with me? I mean... And so he saw that in them. He saw something else that we should understand. I kind of alluded to it in one of the prayers that I prayed earlier. And that is that receiving the word of God is receiving God. Receiving the words that the Lord has given us is the path to receiving Christ. As I mentioned, when that gentleman ask me, okay, let's just pretend you didn't have the Bible and the things that you draw out of the Bible that leads you to believe that the resurrection is true. Would you still believe it? First of all, I wouldn't even know it happened. But you cannot, well, Jesus will not allow us to separate his word from him. Again, I quoted it earlier, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, please don't believe that this book that I'm holding is God. But the logos, the ideas, the communication of what is here is so identified with God that, that John the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote that first verse in just that way. What we hold in our hand is the written word. Jesus Christ is the living word. That's why I say when we talk about the gospel, it's not these these, these, these books, if you want to call them that, of Matthew Mark Luke and John the gospel as you know means good news the good news is not a story about a man the good news is the man this is why when you see in the in the uh, Old Testament the reference to the angel of the Lord it's virtually always Jesus that's being referred to angel means messenger Jesus Christ is the message that's the good news and these individuals saw this and that's why When we give preeminence to the word of God, we are simply giving it its due. One of the most troubled men in all of history. You want to talk about it was the best of times or the worst of times. Talk about the worst of times. Here's what Job said. Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's pretty amazing. Psalm 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. So if you could imagine, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people scrambling out there to buy a mega millions ticket for a one point something something billion dollar prize because they could imagine, they could project in their lives all the things they would do with that money and how they would just enjoy life with no worries whatsoever. Well, the writer of Psalm 119 believes that rejoicing in Jesus' testimonies, what we hold in our hand, is wor- more worthy of being rejoiced over than all of the riches that there are. Another thing that Paul was so joyous about concerning these Thessalonians is that uh, was the manner in which they received the word. Now, if you look again, and we're really camping out here on verses 13, and now we'll move into 14 as well. But he talks about them receiving the word of God, which you heard from us and welcoming it, not as the word of men, but as it is, is in truth, the word of God. Uh, I don't like to be a Greek snob and go back to the original language because sometimes that just gets tedious. But in this case, it's actually quite uh, profound because in the first instance where he uses the word <coughs> received. The Greek word from which that's translated is paralambano, And that word basically means that I, I heard you and I understand what you said. That's a good word to remember when you're speaking to children. Very often they hear something in the background. It sounds a lot like, wow, 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 wow. But they don't necessarily understand. You say, are you uh, paralambanoing me here? <laughs> But when he talks about welcoming, and by the way, if you have a King James version, it, it uses the word received twice, received and received. In my Bible, New King James, it's received, but then you welcomed it. And that welcome word was translated from another Greek word, Decalme, And in that context, it means to receive favorably and to embrace it or take it on board as your own. And this is what he finds so wonderful about these Thessalonian believers. They're not just people who warm up you and let the word of God kind of wash over them like the tide and then it rolls back out and they go home or they go to lunch and eat things that are bad for their health. No, <laughs> he, he sees in them that they hear it, they understand it, they take it on board come what may. And this is, this is why it's so important to teach the whole world of uh, world. The whole context the whole word of God because to leave parts out leaves your understanding deficient and if your understanding is deficient then you're not taking on board the whole counsel of God and that leaves you vulnerable this is why it also leaves if you do take it all on board it also makes you a target doesn't it but here's what Paul said in Romans 1 16 and 17 he said for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God To salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, that little phrase there, revealed from faith to faith, is very important for us to understand. And let me tell you why. What Paul is essentially saying there is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've already established it's the very word of God. It is the most important thing we could have for instruction, for reproof, for correction. For encouragement. For peace and joy. But the way the Lord works this is that if you have the faith to go into the word of God and apprehend its truths. As you apprehend truth from the word of God. He reveals more to you. And he reveals more to you. And if you ever think you'll get to the end of it, just know that C.S. Lewis once said that the further he goes in his walk with Jesus Christ, the more he realizes how depraved he is. Why is that? Because as we continue to walk, as we continue to grasp and grapple with the truths that that become known to us, the Lord is willing to show us more, show us more, show us more. I, I sometimes think that if the Lord gave us perfect understanding right from day one, We'd probably die in shame on the spot. But the, the beauty of the Lord is, is he's watching your heart. And as you show appetite to learn and walk in his way, he gives you more. He gives you more. It goes the other way too. If you deaden your heart, if you, as Paul was, was writing in, in the letter to the Hebrews, if you refuse to go beyond the milk of the word, the Lord's not going to just push it into your ear. You know, if we seek, we find. If we knock, he opens. The Lord wants to see you desire him. The Lord wants to see you hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And here's where you find it. And this is what Paul is seeing in these individuals. He's so excited about. Them. You know, Jesus said three very important things about the way in which we approach his word. Uh, in Matthew thirteen nine, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. So, so that, that's Jesus pretty much telling us we should be eager to hear God's word at every opportunity. It pains me to, to, to be with Christians who kind of have a disdain for going and sitting under the word of God. It's like, really? Do you have that same attitude about lunch? You know? Uh, so he who has ears, let him hear. Then in Mark 4:24 we read. Take heed what you hear. Now, to me, that speaks a very important thing, especially in this day and age. There's a lot of things you can hear. As we already, I think, talked about last week, we are over-entertained. We, are, we, we have more command and access to information that at any time in human history, by orders of magnitude, you can pretty much go and hear anything you want to hear. And it's all out there. And uh, I think years and years ago, I preached, I preached a sermon entitled The Virtues of a Narrow Mind. I mean, talk about something just politically incorrect on its face. Because in this day and age that we live, uh, people believe that every idea is as good as any other idea. The whole relative truth idea, my truth, your truth. You know? No. There's virtue to having a narrow mind. If you're driving on an eight-lane highway... You better have a narrow mind. Well, let's see. Eight's my favorite number. Yeah, but it's going the wrong way. It's okay. I like eight. Eight's my number. You know, you have a narrow mind. No, this is my lane. I'm going to stay in it. So, so uh, you know, when, we, when we're told, take heed what you hear, we need to be judicious about where we direct our attention, don't we? Because there's an awful lot of things in the world that could take you right down a rabbit hole uh, where the rabbit's big and ferocious, okay? Then we read in Luke 8.18, take heed... How you hear, take heed how you hear. I think that's especially good advice in these last days because Paul said something about the greater church that will be true in the last days. This is what he said in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. He said, for the time will come, I kind of think we're there, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be a turned aside to fables. We have to be, you know, we, we have to take heed how we hear. Where do we choose? What, what well do we, do we choose to draw water from? And that's more or less what, what Jesus was saying there. And so as Paul is looking at these Thessalonians and considering the progress that they've made, He's overjoyed because they give the proper esteem to the word of God. It is the words of God. It's not mere men. It has efficaciousness in one's life to change one's life, to conform one's life to Christ. And it is so powerful that those who are willing to embrace it will not only do so, but will prosper in it in the midst of very dark and trying times. Which brings us to the way in which Paul describes that situation for them. Picking up in verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Now, when Paul compares the suffering of the church of Thessalonica to the suffering of the churches in Judea, he knows of what he speaks. Because we know from the book of Acts that prior to Paul's Damascus Road experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Lord calls him in a sudden, dramatic fashion, Uh, Most people don't get saved quite like that, where you go from being 100 miles an hour in the direction of the enemy to a hard stop and 100 miles an hour in the direction of the Lord. But that was Paul's experience. (laughs) Prior to that, he was the point of the spear that persecuted the church. He would go around to different cities. He he started in the cities of Judea. But by the time we, we get to where he is on the Damascus Road, he's heading to the synagogues in the places in Damascus because they want to round up all of those people who are of what they knew of at at the time as the way they wanted to eradicate the way they wanted to imprison and even kill these people the first martyr of the church Stephen was being stoned while Paul officiated and held the coats of those who were flinging the rocks, so they could get a little bit better motion on that throw. So Paul knew exactly what was going on. Paul himself experienced the same hostility when he brought the gospel to the Thessalonians. Because when he went there and he preached in the synagogue for three weeks, and then they had to move to the home of a believer there, and the individuals of the city who opposed Paul's teaching gathered up a rabble, a mob, and they, they literally ran him out of town. So Paul knows very well what's going on. He knows that these individuals were going to be disowned by their families. Their employment opportunities were going to be limited. Government officials would have a jaundiced eye towards them. Their parents maybe would disown them. Maybe their children would even turn them in. And this was the climate in which they lived. And again, I cannot help but draw some parallels to modern times. Because many of the things that are in the word of God that we must stand firmly on fly in the face of where the culture has moved. And so there are going to be times in our future where you're going to have to make a choice. And maybe it won't be a situation where you can simply make that choice in your own heart and nobody needs to know about it. The day is coming when the choices you'll make will be very obvious And they will have repercussions that will come from those choices. These folks were living that right then. And Paul is seeing this in their life and he's commending them. He's right on Dickens' Best of times, worst of times. Age of wisdom, the wisdom of God. The age of foolishness, the world. Epoch of belief. Wow, the church is being birthed. But then the epoch of incredulity. So much unbelief. Again, nothing has changed really. And um, you know, one of the things that the early church was was uh, identified with, and also, um, it, it was a great mystery to people who are observing the church. The church people were more concerned about the pain of the of the of the life to come than the pain. Of the current world and we're going to get to that in a minute but but I want to draw one distinction you know it's one thing for Christians to be persecuted for our faith if you're living out your faith and people hate you for that the Bible tells you to rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer for the same things that Jesus suffered for that that principle doesn't cover when you're persecuted for just being like the world You know, if you adopt the tactics of the world in advocating for Christ, first of all, you dishonor Christ. Second of all, you dishonor the church as an instrument that God has raised up to spread the gospel. And sadly, this has happened in our days. Um, You know, some of the uh, sort of the fringe groups within the greater body of Christ who have done uh, terrible damage to the cause of Christ by the way in which they oppose things that the word of God speaks against. Shooting people at abortion clinics. You, taking life in the name of banning the taking of life? I mean, how hypocritical and damaging is that? Um, these kind of things should not be named among Christians. Now, one thing to know before we move off of this, the, the tribulation that th- they experienced is that we're guaranteed tribulation. I hope that when, when the day comes where the heat is turned up on the, on the church in the United States of America, that we don't feel like somehow um, Christianity is broken or that you know, somehow the Lord has, has not stepped up for us the way he promised. The Lord promises us that we will have tribulation. Um, John 16, 33 these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling us this. Why is it necessary that we experience tribulation? Well, it's because the gospel has been, has been given to us as something that overcomes the world. So when you and I are, are persecuted for our faith and, the, and our faith continues and we continue to speak into the lives of other people, as much as that may hurt you or me, it proves out the power of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. This is why if we look around the world, you'll find the fastest growth rates of, of the gospel, of the church, are in the places that have the most persecution. The most vile persecution you can imagine. People aren't just called names. They are killed for their faith. It is against the law and it is a capital crime to believe in Jesus and to spread the gospel. And yet the church grows there because this is the power of the gospel. We are living testimonies of the power of the gospel. And sometimes God's glory is manifested more in your suffering than in your joy. And so this is why we are, we are told, uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy three twelve. yes, and all who believe, uh, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so here's Paul and he's witnessing this church and they've received the word of God and they're doing it in an environment where their own countrymen are, are persecuting them just as they did in Judea um, But then Paul picks up in verse 17. He says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, we do not know exactly what it was that would have hindered Paul. Uh, In various ways, it could have been travel arrangements. It could have been health issues. It could have been... Uh, all all manner of things, could have been incarcerations or whatever. But the fact of the matter was that Paul had a godly desire to go back to encourage this church. And for reasons that he attributes to the enemy, he was hindered in doing so, and yet he wants them to know how joyous he is about what has happened in their lives. And then he says in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What Paul is describing there is that you Thessalonians should be joyous for what's to come. You need to believe and we need to believe two very important promises that God gives us. First of all, that your sins are forgiven. It's because your sins are forgiven that you will have direct physical access you will be in the presence of God and that's made possible because your sins are forgiven. We can have fellowship with the Holy God because we are absolved of sin. He does not see sin when he sees us. The second thing that he's encouraging them with is that their citizenship is heaven. Their their time on this earth, as Paul would describe it in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us far more exceeding the eternal weight of glory. Now, when he uses the word light in front of affliction, it's only because he's comparing it to the depth and the breadth of the glory and the blessing that is ours as citizens of heaven. When he talks about it only being a moment. And we know that if you have your hand on a hot stove, one second can seem like an eternity. It's called the relativity of time. Um, But our time here on earth, and I don't care whether you live to be 30, 40, 50, 100, 120. um, This is a brief time compared to eternity. And so uh, Paul is really urging them to look ahead, not to fret over what could happen to us here in this world. I know that's very easy to say and sometimes very hard to take on board, but to know that We can endure anything here because of what we know is our ultimate destiny. It's interesting, but Jesus Christ himself had to turn his focus to the eternal weight of his glory in heaven after having saved all of you, rather than to focus his attention on the suffering that he knew was in his immediate future. I believe that that was the anguish in the garden. That was the place at which... He had to jettison his concern for his immediate future and focus on his total eternal destiny. This is, this is why he starts out in that agony by saying, Lord, if there be any way this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And this is why the writer of Hebrews in 12:2 said, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the encouragement that, that Paul is giving the Thessalonians that look, you're going through tough times now, but focus on the glory that is yours. It's been won for you. You are free of sin. You have fellowship with Christ. You are citizens of heaven and the eternal weight of that glory will far surpass anything that we experience in this life. And so, as I read that, as I share that with you, my prayer is that we look at these things in our context and not a lot has changed. It is the best of times because we're redeemed people. It is the worst of times because the very fabric of our society, a society that had been stitched together with the, a thread of the Judeo-Christian ethic is becoming unraveled right before our eyes. Many call it the, the end of Western society because Western society was built on a foundation of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Worst of times, best of times, right? Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It is the very word of God. Lord, it is better for us than our necessary food. It is more enriching than all the riches of the world. And Lord, we have received that and therefore we glorify in it. Come what may in a world that so despises and hates you, Lord, and despises and hates those that love you. I pray, Lord, as we continue to move along the path towards your coming for your church, that with the the assurance of that coming of our Lord for us, we would be able to stand firm in the things of this world that oppose you and and that will one day oppose us in very profound ways. Strengthen, my brothers and sisters. Give us a heart for you, Lord. And help us to stand strong, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before you go, we have to sing happy birthday to Ketty Herrera. She's 94 today. So happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Caddy, happy birthday to you. Love you. God bless you. Give her a big hug before you go.